Hey listeners, I hope you have enjoyed the podcast so far. If you have, then share the scare. Tell your friends and family to come check out the show. You can also help us to grow by taking a moment to rate and review The Chilling on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you all so much for your support on this epic paranormal journey. Also, Season 2 is currently in the works, and I am looking to hear from you, my listeners. Ghostly encounters, UFOs, sleep paralysis, or maybe you are even currently living in a haunted house. Whatever the case may be, if it's strange and unusual, I would love to have you on the show. So please take a moment to contact me through my website at www.thechillingpodcast.com. All right, now let's get spooky. In Kent, Ohio, there is a house where the veil between this world and the next is thin. It is a home where things really do go bump in the night. It is a place where demons dwell and a roof under which nightmares are real. My belief is that there was something dark there, that there was definitely something going on in that house that was very paranormal. I just remember this overwhelming sense that like somebody was watching me. I've now seen it with my own eyes. I've, you know, been scared to death to be in a house by myself. The only way I can explain it is that it was a demon. That's just what it felt like. That's what it looked like to me. I am your host, Lindsay Brisbane, and this is The Chilling. This episode of The Chilling will discuss paranormal happenings and spooky stuff. Some adult language will be used, so listener discretion is advised. Episode 12, The Cat House. There are several cats, smoothly moving about, which help me greatly to relax. For I have always felt that no house is wholly bad where there are cats. And, conversely, where there are several cats, a house is bound to be wonderfully charming. Quote by Hans Holzer from his book, The Ghost Hunter, Chilling Tales of Real-Life Hauntings. Cats. They sleep in our beds, ease our anxieties, purr when happy, play the keyboard in viral videos, And with over 90 million of them living in households in the U.S. alone, they have definitely secured their place as beloved members of our present-day families. So how did this once wildcat species end up being pampered pets anyways? Well, for a minute, we need to go back. Way back. The domesticated cats we see today originally got their start thousands of years ago as Felis sylvestris libica, or what is more commonly known as the African wildcat. These ancestors, to our now contemporary pets, have been found buried in proximity to that of Neolithic man, and there is evidence that suggests that their domestication could have started as far back as 12,000 BC. So how did this bond between us and them happen anyway? 
Well, it's simple. We needed them. As we humans evolved, cats, like dogs, came to serve a very specific and functional purpose. With the advent of agriculture, there began to be a surplus of food and mice, catching on, wanted a piece of the pie, so to speak. So cats became a necessity. They, being nimble hunters, would easily stalk and kill the small animals that were attempting to deplete our resources. Not to mention, as early civilizations grew and ships began to travel the high seas, cats yet again applied their skill set, this time killing vermin in close quarters, and by doing so, they prevented the spread of infectious diseases. In ancient Egypt, cats served a royal purpose killing venomous snakes while protecting the pharaoh, and evidence of this dates as far back as the first dynasty. In time, they were worshipped by the Egyptians as deities like Mofdet, Bastet, and Sekhmet. Across the board, cats were esteemed household pets in the homes of Egyptians. They were fed well, adorned with jewelry, and often mummified when they passed. Owners would shave off their eyebrows to mourn the loss of their pet, and if you killed a cat in ancient Egypt, even accidentally, you were sentenced to death. In Norse mythology, Norwegian forest cats were the favorite animal of Freya. She was gifted a pair by Thor, and the two large male gray cats pulled her chariot. Beyond mythology, for the Vikings, cats were both working animals as well as household pets, and because of their dual purpose, they were taken wherever their owners traveled. Throughout ancient cultures, we see this again and again. People embracing cats, worshipping cats, and elevating their importance both symbolically and practically. So what changed? Why are cats now synonymous with witches and Halloween? By the Middle Ages, cats were thought to work for the devil and that part of their job was to take souls to hell. Cats were suddenly affiliated with beings like demons, so much so that the three hairs on the tips of their tails were referred to as the devil's hairs. These innocuous strands of fur were now believed to be why cats were nocturnal and therefore the reason that they were up all night doing Satan's bidding while all other God-fearing animals were respectfully asleep. If a woman was accused of witchcraft in Western Europe during medieval times, her pets, especially cats, were assumed to be in league with the devil as well, and so they would all be put to death. You heard that right. People were executing cats as part of the Middle Ages version of the Satanic Panic. In an instant, it seemed they went from good to evil and had become a symbol of witchcraft. They were shunned, feared, and killed. Some historians suggest, although it can't be proven definitively, that perhaps the Black Death was in part the result of the sudden widespread drop in the cat population after they were being killed in record numbers. With no one left to keep rats and mice in check among cities and large groups of people, disease was allowed to flourish. All these hundreds of years later, there are so many superstitions pertaining to cats, both good and bad. The cat she is a large black cat that haunts the Scottish Highlands, 
and in some versions of the tall tale, it is believed to actually be a witch that can transform herself into a cat just nine times. On the ninth time, she would remain a cat forever, and this is perhaps where the idea came from, saying that cats have nine lives. On Samhain, or Samhain as you may have heard it pronounced in America, it was thought best to leave a dish of milk out for the cat she, otherwise your cows might dry up and there would be no milk to be had for anyone. Early Christians believed that if you saw a cat sitting on a person's grave, their soul belonged to Satan. And if you saw two cats fighting over someone's grave at their funeral or near their deathbed, then what you were witnessing was a battle of good versus evil, one cat an angel, and the other cat the devil himself. The winner, of course, gets to keep the person's soul. In the Netherlands, people believed cats like to spread gossip, so if the family had something important to talk about, they made sure the family cat was not in the room. In Japan, if a cat is grooming itself, especially its face with its paws, then it means visitors are coming. In Southern Europe, they once believed that if a cat jumps across a person's grave, they will come back to life as a vampire. Some feared that cats suck the life out of newborn babies, killing them, while others believed placing a cat in an empty crib or cradle would make a baby arrive soon. It was said that if a cat purrs, then a ghost is in the room. Others believe that if you pluck a white hair from an all-black cat without being scratched, you will be lucky in love. Bathing a cat will cause it to rain, and beware when a cat sneezes three times because someone will catch a cold. There seems to be endless superstitions, folklore stories, and the like regarding cats. Some I knew, and others I had never heard of before. So even if you two were unaware of them, I know most of you listening at least know this old wives' tale. It's bad luck to let a black cat cross your path. So why all this talk about cats? And what do they have to do with a haunted house in Kent, Ohio? Well, it's twofold. The second part we will get to in a bit, but for now, I want to go back to something from episode 11. You may remember my mentioning a former tenant at the house. She had answered my message saying that she and her girlfriend had no paranormal experiences while in the house. However, her cat's personality did completely change. She said that he turned evil. So I inquired further for some more specifics regarding the change in her cat. She went on to explain that he began hiding in closets or under the bed and he would claw at her anytime she got near him. The change in his personality was so intense that she had to give him up. They had gone through a lot of effort to sneak her cat into the house because the landlord wouldn't allow pets. And in the end, as much as they wanted their cat to be there, it seemed he didn't feel the same way. Was this former resident's cat simply responding unfavorably to a new environment? Absolutely. Cats, in case you didn't know, are predisposed to having drastic behavioral changes when they are moved from one space to another, and one such shift in demeanor just so happens to be aggression. Cats are by nature territorial creatures, so smells of unfamiliar animals and or people could easily provoke them. But if a cat's territoriality can be evoked by smell alone, 
then can their four other senses elicit a change in behavior? Sight, sound, taste, touch. Like humans, cats have five senses, but there have been stories that may in fact suggest that cats do indeed have a sixth sense. One such case is that of Oscar, the hospice cat. He is a therapy cat who has predicted the death of over 60 people at the Steer House Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Providence, Rhode Island. So how does he do it? Does he have a little crystal ball or a set of tarot cards? No, it's a little more subtle than that. Oscar simply chooses to sleep beside people a few hours before they end up passing away. His accuracy is so spot on that when the staff see him sleeping next to someone, they immediately call the patient's family. That way, their loved ones have time to say their goodbyes in person. You see, the workers feel that he chooses to give comfort and company to humans as they leave this world to begin their journey into the next. Is there a scientific explanation for this cat? Well, kind of, but it's nothing definitive. It is theorized that he might be picking up on the patient's lack of movement or even detecting the biochemicals released by their body's dying cells. So, if Oscar the hospice cat can smell and identify death, would it really be that big of a leap to think that he might also be able to perceive what is just beyond the eternal rest of man? Can a cat like Oscar or the former tenant's pet possibly sense ghosts, demons, and other various paranormal phenomenon? Well, with their whiskers, they can build within the structure of their brains a 3D map of their surroundings. Not only that, but their whiskers also allow them to sense movements of varying degrees, from something as active as potential prey to something more passive, like a minute change in temperature. But their X-Men-like abilities don't stop there. The structure of their eyes allow them to perceive UV light, and their visual acuity is stronger when it's dark. Their hearing is similar to ours, but even still, they can perceive 1.6 octaves higher than us and one octave higher than canines. So knowing all that, if we are to believe that it's even remotely possible for us humans to hear, see, or sense ghosts, then I would have to say that for cats, we are talking a dead certainty. There is a great quote by Sir Walter Scott that I think sums up cats both in terms of folklore and their unique skill set. Here goes. These cats are very mysterious kind of folk. There is always more passing in their minds than we are aware of. It comes, no doubt, from their being so familiar with witches and warlocks. So with that, let's get back to the cat house and how it got its name. We actually, we called it the cat house because, so like I guess every sorority um, house or girls who lived in a house who were in our sorority, like they all had different house names. Like there was dream house and schoolhouse. Um, so ours was called cat house. And it was because the girls before us, they were also in our sorority and they all had cats. So that's where the name came from. So we called it the cat house. That was Laura. She lived in the house somewhere around 2018 
She and her two friends moved in during her junior year at Kent State University, and Laura's room was my room. After hitting so many dead ends, I didn't have high hopes when I reached out to her, but to my surprise, Laura was eager to talk. I'm going to read you a line from one of the very first Facebook messages that she ever sent me. Here goes. I have the chills right now. OMG. So many spooky things happened to me and my two roommates when we lived there. Not only was she enthusiastically communicating with me over Facebook Messenger, but Laura was willing to talk to me over the phone. Great, right? Yeah, but it wasn't easy for me. You see, when you finally have the opportunity to speak to someone who actually lived in your room, in your house, and they, like you, had experiences, well, no matter how excited you are, if you want the truth, you have to play your cards close to the chest. So like a detective bringing in someone for questioning, I did my best not to lead. I didn't give too much away. I tried to remain calm, ask questions, be subjective, and just let Laura tell her story. And what a fucking story she had to tell. It started for them much like it did for us something changed. Here's Laura. Me and my roommate, we were actually, be we were best friends before we moved in. I was, I think I was closer with her than I was with my other roommate at the time. And it's kind of funny because now me and this other roommate, we're like best friends. Um, and we lived together senior year too. But our other roommate, she was very, she, she liked to, I don't know how to explain it. She just liked to do her own things. And like, she wasn't like helping out around the house or like little things like that. And actually we thought, <laughs> we told her that we didn't feel comfortable. Like I still wanted to be her best friend. Like I loved her. And we told her that we just didn't feel comfortable living with her the following year. And we just wanted to live together senior year, me and the other roommate. And after that, she just kept to herself and um, she was very mad at us. It took it very personal. But so as, I think around around that time, like December or in, even into the spring, we were just like, we noticed our silverware going missing. We each had like a set of silverware, me and my other roommate, but like my forks were going missing and her spoons were going missing. So we were like, what, like, what is going on? And like one day I like tech, I like texted all three, all three of us in a group chat. And I was just like, what is going on with the silverware? Like, is, are one of you like taking the silverware or throwing them out or something? And everyone said, like swore up and down, like, no, like no one is taking the silverware. Cause we, <laughs> we thought it was our other roommate who was just like mad at us. And like, this was her like passive aggressive way of like getting back at us or something like that. This roommate, this best friend of Laura's that she was fighting with, I felt like I knew the answer already, but I had to ask, what room was she living in? Um, her room was the room underneath the stairs, or at the bottom of the stairs. Hearing this, I told her a bit about the dynamics in our house, and Laura then went into more detail about her roommate at the bottom of the stairs. It was the same thing. She would like go in that room and shut the door and just like shut the world out. And I was just like, is she okay? Like me and my other roommate would always be like, like, have you seen this today? Like, or is she okay? Like, and neither, none of us before we moved in the house, we um, didn't have cats at the time, like when we moved in, but 
I got a cat around September and then she got a cat like sometime after that or sometime around then, maybe beginning of October, I think. And so like during the day or I would wake up and I'm like, I see, okay, so we had like the cat food bowls and water bowls. They were upstairs in that weird room. Uh, we called it the office. We didn't know what else to call it. <laughs> it was like upstairs next to my room. Um, we called it the office. And like, that's where we had like the litter box and the cat foods or cat food and water and stuff. So I would wake up, you know, I would go in there, um, see like if my cat needed fed or anything. And I look over and then um, my other roommate's cat, like she just didn't have food or water sometimes. And I would text my roommate and I'm like, hey, like, you need me to feed her like and then you just like wouldn't hear from her like she just would be in that room like doing her own thing downstairs and I'm like girl like you need to feed your cat first of all (laughs) but yeah she was just very like isolated in that room and yeah we would have to like knock on the door and be like hey like are you good and she's just like curled up in bed she's like I'm good I'm fine like she was always very independent and she would like do her own thing and be like hey like I'm gonna go like go get food or like go do this go do that and like go hang out with her other friends but like I I don't know I think whenever she moved into that that room and then we started kind of having roommate you know regular roommate issues like we were just like she just turned into like a completely different person I feel like. It was stunning to hear someone else tell what felt like my story. Just like Rebecca, Laura's best friend moved into that bedroom at the bottom of the stairs and was never the same. But that wasn't the only parallel. Here's Laura again. The roommate who lived underneath the stairs, she would always like, it was so weird because she would text me and be like, hey, like, are you like, can you be quiet? Like, I'm trying to sleep or I'm trying to study and like you're moving furniture. It sounds like you're moving furniture upstairs and like stomping up the stairs. And I'm like, I'm literally just chilling in bed watching TV. Like I'm not even not doing anything. That would happen constantly. But I specifically remember one time she texted me and she was like, like the same thing, like, hey, stop moving furniture. Like I'm trying to sleep. It was like maybe midnight or 1 a.m. I wasn't even home. I texted her back and I was like, I'm at my boyfriend's house. Like, I'm literally not even home. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was like, I was like so freaked out. Like I called her and I was like, dude, like, are you okay? Like, like what's going on? And she was like, it literally sounds like someone's moving furniture or someone's stomping up and down the stairs. And at that time, this was around probably, it was after I got my cat. So it was probably October, September. And she was like, maybe it's just Harley. Like, maybe she's running up and down the stairs. And then um, my roommate was like, no, like, I'm looking at her right now. Like, she's like in my room or she was like at the bottom of the stairs, wherever she was. And I was like, okay, this is so weird. (laughs) But that that was her, that was probably the first experience we had, like, as a, um, as roommates. The stairs, the sounds, all of it was so similar. But was that all? No. No, it was not. Laura, as I said already, lived in my former bedroom, and I was curious to know, what was her first paranormal experience in the house? What she had to say next made me instantly think of both Adam and I and how we felt. The very first thing that happened was actually before we were officially, like, moved in. So since we knew the girls before, 
um, who lived in the house, we knew like what we were moving into. So like in my lease was up my lease. And then my other roommate who lived at the bottom of the stairs, her lease was up um, July 31st. Both of ours was, we were like, we need to move in like August 1st. And the leasing office said like, we can't move in until like X amount. I think it was like August, mid August or something. But we were like, no, like we know the people um, who live there. Like you guys don't have to clean it. Like we'll clean it ourselves. So the girls who lived there before they move out like a couple days early because I think their lease was up around August 1st. Um, so they move out early for us. And that weekend, we like went in and cleaned. So like the whole place was empty, but we were like cleaning the carpets ourselves and like just, you know, doing a wipe down of everything. And there was at one point, it was the day before we were supposed to move in. Um, it was nighttime and everyone was like, okay, like I'm done for the day. And I was like, I want everybody to leave so that I can clean the carpets, you know, so nobody's walking on wet carpet and like getting it dirty as I'm cleaning it. So I was alone at the house um, the day before we moved in. And I just, there was no um, curtains up or anything. So like all the windows, like they were um, like, there was no curtain so you could see out the windows and stuff. And I just had, this eerie feeling that I was being watched and I, I would like I just like felt the presence I've always been like very intuitive and like my aunt is like super into like spirits and like she's like a little hippie and it's great but like she's the one who got me into that so like I just like felt this vibe of like like this overwhelming like presence and like I just felt like someone was watching me so like I, I don't know. I I was just like trying to clean the carpets and I was like, wow, like this is really weird, like being here alone. And I remember like getting the chills and I'm like, okay, this is kind of like, it's kind of creepy, but like, but at the same time, I was literally so excited to move in the next day and like live there with like my two best friends. I was just like, I was just so excited. So like the excitement like outweighed the fear at that point. So that was like kind of the first experience where we were just like, where I was just like, like, whew, like I was just like felt overwhelmed and I just like, I wanted to get out of the house. Like I wanted to finish cleaning so that I could like get out kind of because I was just, I was getting a little scared towards the end. And I was like, okay, there's no curtains up. Like maybe someone is watching me. Like, I don't know. It was just a weird experience. But she wasn't alone. Laura's roommates started to have experiences of their own. Everything happened like with my roommates before it did to me. So I think it was my other roommate who lived um, in the room with the basement door, she would always say that the kitchen lights um, would like flicker on and off or something and, and no one was in there. Like, cause she would like peek out her door and be like, okay, why, like, why did that just turn on? There's no one in there. Or the bath, cause she was like across from the kitchen and then across from the bathroom. So she was like, she would always hear the bathroom door like open and shut too. And there was no one in there. So I guess, I'll back up a little bit because then I'll tell you like when like the first time we actually like explored the basement. So the what happened was so my roommates were experiencing like all these, you know, the the running up and down the stairs. They thought that I was moving furniture upstairs when I wasn't. And like they had all their experiences. And one day I'm sitting on the couch and I was talking to my other roommate and she had a friend over. She was talking to her friend about like her experiences and I'm sitting there and I'm like, like, how come I haven't experienced anything? And of course, as soon as I say something, like the next day something happens. But I was just like sitting there. I'm like, you know, nothing's happened to me. Like, this is like, why are you guys getting these cool experiences? And like, I don't have anything. <laughs> like, I was kind of like 
almost like a little bit jealous because like I I always thought I was the more intuitive one so I'm like why am I not like having like encounters or anything um so the, the next day um my roommates they were they were both at class they woke up early went to class um I didn't have class until later so I I don't know I think I was out the previous night and I didn't wake up until around one or or 12 or one the next day and I went into the little office and I grabbed my cat's uh, water bowl and I was like, okay, I got to refill this. I take it, I go downstairs and immediately I look into the kitchen and all the, all the drawers, all the doors, they're all open equally. Like, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. They were all at the same, all the drawers were open at the same level. All the cabinets were like open at an angle, like towards each other. And I still, I still get the chills like talking about this because it's like, it was the creepiest sight. And I remember I sat my, or I put the cat food bowl down by the kitchen sink and I just stood there in, in shock. I couldn't even move. I was like, especially after the, like literally the day before I said like nothing crazy happened to me. And so my roommate, my other roommate, um, she was actually just pulling in the driveway as soon as I came downstairs and like saw everything like I took a picture and I look and she's pulling in the driveway in the back and I like swing over <laughs> I like slide open the back door and I'm like like get in here like I'm freaking out like this like come look at this and she was like like what are you talking about so she like runs inside and like you could instantly like see the goosebumps that she had and I was like I was like, I swear on my life, I didn't do this. I just woke up. I just came downstairs. I was like, are you guys like messing with me? Because this is not funny at all. And they were, she was like, no, no. And then probably like 20 minutes later, um, our other roommate came home. And, I, and we just like left it there. Like I was kind of scared to like push it back in. And I was like, Am I, is this is this okay? Like, is the spirit okay with this? Like we left it for a little bit until our other roommate got home. And I was like, are you guys messing with me? Like this is not, I was like so shocked like I I couldn't even I don't even think I did anything I don't even think I went to class um that day because I was so freaked out um but they they swore up and down like they weren't messing with me and I think my one roommate that from the previous day she it was only her and her friend who had heard me say like you know I haven't had any experiences so I, the, I don't even think the other roommate heard me say that like I, she was either in her room or she was at work or class or something so it wasn't like, and that's the one I was having, you know, we were, there was tension and we were having issues. So I was like, if you're messing with me, like, I'm going to be so pissed. But the, she swore up and down that it wasn't her. I was like, okay. So we like push in like the drawers and close the cabinets and stuff. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'm going to go get my sage, my smudge stick. Like we're, we're about to sage this place because I was like, I can't like deal with this. And I was like, I need you guys to like walk around with me and like, just be like, be with me on this like put your energy into this and like I was like we need to go into the basement because like we had never explored it before and they were like okay like they were just as freaked out as I was and I was like it's better if we do it together so I don't get because I was like being a baby about it too I was like I just don't I was like I don't want to do it alone like just help me out so like we started at like the front doors and then we like went around like the main level we went upstairs to my room we did like the closet in there too, because there was weird vibes in there too. And then we came downstairs and we were like, all right, like everybody take a deep breath. We're going into the basement. So then we went down the stairs and like we did the one side 
it not the side there was like two sides to the basement almost like the wall had been blown out and like at it was like there was an add-on or something and on the one side it was kind of like gravel and like not dirt but it was just like gravel and crushed gravel on, on one side and then the other side was like concrete so we went to the concrete side first and like you know we were just like messing around on that side like there was like there was like a a brick beam i guess in the middle i remember and like one of the bricks like came out like on on the on the far side and we were like this is kind of weird and i think there was something written in there and i cannot for the life of me remember and i don't think i have the pictures anymore i wish i would have taken pictures of it but i can't remember something it said something in there and we were like hmm like maybe people like wrote stuff there and then, so we were staging on that side and then we walked to the other side. And then that's when we saw, we had seen like the spray paint before when we first moved in. Cause we had, we had put some stuff in the basement. Like, I think there was a snow shovel and like salt for winter that we put down there. Um, and we, we stored stuff in there. So we'd seen the spray paint before, but like this time we were actually like, like exploring that side more, I guess. Like on the floor, we found like, there's like burnt down candles and burnt newspaper and there is this weird, it was like a sheet metal of some sort that was like rusted. So it was kind of hard to read. It said R.I.P. J.I.L.O. like Jillo Boo, like space Boo, B-O-O. And then it said April, it looks like a two, April two. And then I, I can't, you can't see the year dash October 31st. It says like 88 or something. I can't remember. Or I can't, it's hard, really hard to see, but I can send it your way. But we just thought it was so, we are like, where did this come from? Why is this here? As you just heard, a lot happened. But when she mentioned burning sage in the house with her roommates, it made me think of when Adam and I did the same thing, only with holy water instead. I was, of course, curious if smudging helped or not mostly because of something that demonologist Michael Salerno had said to me when I spoke with him. What are you going to fight it with? These things you use sage, it just makes these things angry. The Bible says if you, get, if you try and banish these things the wrong way, they'll come back stronger, seven times stronger. So, was Michael right? Here's Laura with the answer to that. The vibe was a little bit better, but then... Something I like, I don't, I haven't even told you yet. Um, something happened to me where I, it, this was after the smudging, and I think it was probably one of the last things that happened. I mean, throughout the year that we lived together, we still, there was still a, an eerie feeling, I guess, when you walked into the house. Um, but it, it did get better after that. And we, well, I think my um, roommate still heard the footsteps and stuff. But something that happened to me was, I think, uh, the previous night, I was out with friends, and I had been drinking, and I came home, you know, fell asleep, and uh, I, this is, like, trying to remember it, I'm like, I get the chills, like, thinking about it all over again. So I was sleeping, and all of a sudden, like, I think I was, like, lucid dreaming almost, because I was still in bed, but I knew I was dreaming. And I'm like looking around and I'm like, I was like, I could tell it was a dream. But then I started to walk downstairs and I was like calling my roommate's name. I'm like, both of them. And I was like, are you guys home? Like, like, hey, like trying to like yell for them. But then all of a sudden, like I was back in my bed and I 
I think it was sleep paralysis because I could I could not move. Like it felt like something was holding me down. I could not move at all. And then I felt something grab my legs, um, like my ankles, and at the end of my bed, and it started like pulling my ankles. So then I looked down, and oh, I will never, I will never forget this. It's still like ingrained in my brain. It's the only way I can describe it is that it was a demon. Um, it was, it was black and red. Like it was, it didn't really have a face. It was more of a of a shadow, but it was like it was outlined in black, but it was mostly red. And it was just pulling at my ankles and like trying to pull me off the bed. And I had never, never experienced anything like that. And I had like, I love dream catchers and I have like so many dream catchers that were up on my wall. And I'm like, and I remember thinking the next day, I'm like, how did that happen? Like I have my dream catchers up kind of thing. Cause I like believe in those, but oh, I will never forget it. It was trying to yank me off the bed and I was screaming and I was like screaming for my roommate help like I was I was terrified and then and then all of a sudden I woke up and I was like breathing so heavy and I like ran downstairs because I was just so I was freaked out I ran downstairs and I like bang on the girl um, door who was at the bottom of the stairs and I was like freaking out and then I was like I was like starting I could feel myself like starting to have a panic attack and she was like are you okay like what's going on and I was like I was like I think I'm having a panic attack and I tried to explain to her what had like what had just happened and I just like felt so nauseous and I was like I think I'm gonna go throw up so I like went to the bathroom like I ended up throwing up and I was like oh my god and I just sat there and I was I was just in shock because I was like what the hell just happened like I had never like, you know, I've had night terrors and bad dreams. I had night terrors when I was a kid. And I've had bad dreams before, but not, never to that extent. And I think that was kind of the turning point because I was just like, after that, I was like, I didn't want to be in the house alone. I think I stayed for like almost a week at my boyfriend at the time's house. Like I was, and I was like trying to tell people like what happened. And I think my roommates were more, they were like, okay, like, I believe you because of their, you know, they had their experiences before me and they were like, okay, like, I believe you, like, that happened. But, like, I don't, I think if, if that, they didn't have their experiences, like, they would have been like, okay, like, you're fucking crazy. Like, <laughs> like you're crazy. But, yeah, I, I will never forget that. I think that was a big turning point. I was like, I can't. And I was like, we had just smudged. So, like, I did, like, a, another, like, little stage and smudge, like, in my room. I was just... It was so creepy. I will I will never forget that. I think that's the one thing. I think after that, like I, I was like I said, I've I've always been intuitive, but even I think even more so now I'm more aware of it. And that's the I was like I don't even know. The only way I can explain it is that it was a demon. That's just what it felt like. That's what it looked like to me. A fucking demon. I had no idea when I talked to Laura that she was going to tell me any of that. No matter how much confirmation I may personally want for this podcast, I never, ever wanted anyone to see that demon. Because that shit changed me forever. Laura had her legs pulled by this demonic being. She also had a lucid dream like me, Except, instead of sitting on the couch, she just went downstairs. She also suffered sleep paralysis, and upon waking was so terrified that she actually had to go to the bathroom to throw up. Hearing it was beyond comprehension, and her words literally gave me goosebumps. 
I want to share something with you all from my interview with psychic medium Joe Peretta. It was near the end of our conversation when he got an impression of what he was sensing in that house. Personally, I do think he might have been picking up on it, whatever it actually is. You know, whenever I talk about something, I always do kind of tune in a little bit, especially if it's like something paranormal. And I kind of feel not that, I mean, I'd really have to like sit and meditate with this and like sit with like a, I usually sit with a pen and paper and like write stuff down that I'm getting, but this is just really quickly like kind of off the cuff here what I feel. I know you said the house is, is like old from 1870 something, but I, for some reason, feel like whatever is there may, may be from earlier than that. Like, that's how I feel. Like it might actually have been there even before that house. Sometimes it's not the physical house, but it'll be like the land that it's on. Like, or if that land was like owned by someone, I don't know, in the 1600s, let's say, and you know, something horrible happened or they were messing around with something that they shouldn't have been, whatever entity that was brought in could still be like on the land or the property. You know what I mean? There is one other thing that I'm seeing, and I don't know if this is what you saw at all, but as you're talking about it, I can almost see, you know, it kind of reminds me of something from a video game I played. I don't know if you play video games at all, um, or if anyone listening plays video games, but there's this game called Kingdom Hearts, and it's like a super nerdy game. And uh, there's this, the, the main character in it has like this like alter ego sort of, that's like a, just like a shadow version of himself. And I feel like I'm seeing something like that, but it, I know it's going to sound so strange to you, but it, it looks like it has something, um, I don't know if a headdress is the right word to use or just like big hair. It's like very like wild animal looking like or like almost like a feral something like that's how it's very much like whatever that is. I would have to agree with like you and the demonologist and anything else that you, you know, anyone else might have spoken to that. I do not think that that's a human entity at all because the way it presents itself is like uh, could look human, but I don't get it like that. Like it doesn't feel doesn't have that like how when I was in the house and I knew that whatever I was communicating with wasn't human this doesn't feel like that it's very weird like almost like a lion's mane it looks like it would it would have like I don't know if it's just something that's on its head or its hair but it's it's very wild looking like that's the only way I, I think I'm um, I could describe it very strange what I find most interesting about what Joe was picking up on is that whatever is there precedes the house itself which makes sense when you think about how there were no historical red flags when Michelle researched the property and the people that had lived there. If something was there, ancient or otherworldly, then perhaps it had laid dormant and was by some means accidentally awoken. When I found out that our house had been part of a fraternity in the 80s, I immediately wrote demonologist Michael Salerno. I told him what David had told me about the hazing in the basement and was curious to get Michael's thoughts. Here's what he wrote back. Fraternities have been known to use witchcraft at times as part of their initiation rituals. Michael's words made me think, could a fraternity have accidentally conjured or provoked something in that basement? If not that, then like Joe said, what was there to him seemed older than the actual house. Again, this makes me think of what Michelle found, or should I say couldn't find out about that little white house. No murders, no deaths, just a house, some tenants, no more, no less. 
But Joe also mentioned a headdress or hair, which I, of course, interpreted as being the floating locks of the night hag's hair. He referred to it as being a wild animal or feral looking. It didn't seem human to him, and he was leaning towards it being what we all thought it was, a demon. Back to Laura. She had the dream, she lived in my room, and she felt watched. But beyond that, did she have any other experiences that related to any of my experiences? I will let you all listen to her and judge that for yourselves. Like I told my roommates and it made me feel a little bit better that they believed me, but at the same time, I was like, am I crazy? Like I literally, I think during that time, like it was just mainly like that fall semester. I was like, my mental health like wasn't the best. Like I was going to class, but I wasn't like going all the time. I would like skip very often. And like, I just felt, I personally felt like very depressed and I, I don't think I ever felt like that. So it was like when that dream happened and I was like, okay, am I really crazy? Like, do I need to go talk to someone? Like I had like a mental breakdown after that. Like I was like, I'm not okay. The year before I like went through a pretty tough breakup and I was just, I had actually lived alone. I lived in a studio apartment before that. And I like had to work through some things like the previous year, but it was still a great year. Cause like that was the year I joined my sorority. Like I met my best friends. And then like once we were in this, in the cat house, I just, I feel like I just completely changed. Like I just, I did not care about class. I did not care about that. I, I was like partying a lot more than usual too. And I was like, never like that. And that was like before I turned 21 too. So I was like, you know, like usually when you turn 21, like that's like when you like start, you know, going out to the bars a lot more and stuff like that. But like, I don't know. I was just in a very like different headspace. And it's kind of weird because everything in my life was like really good. Like I had a, you know, my boyfriend at the time, like he was a great dude. And like, I, you know, I was in my sorority. I had my part-time job and like, I liked the classes I was in. I just like wanted to skip all the time. My family was like very supportive, always has been. After the dream and everything, that's when I really, I was like, that's when I wanted to change my major. And like, I called my mom and I was just like, like crying about my accounting classes. And I was just like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I literally wanted to drop out of school. Like, I, I honestly didn't even want to switch my major. I just wanted to like not go to school completely um, until I called my mom and like, she was like, no, like just stay in school, keep taking classes. And I was like, okay. But I remember when I called her, I was just like, at the, I was like laying on the floor. I, how do I explain this? I was like laying on the floor, like at the top of the stairs, like in front of like that closet that's next to the office and I was just laying there and I was just like crying and like after I got off the phone with my mom I was just like laying there and I just I remember it being like super cold but then it like went away like really quick it was kind of weird because I feel like that winter I feel like most most of our experiences were during a couple of days before we moved in up until like winter time um like in winter time it kind of just stopped for us really um besides you know the footsteps and stuff but I don't know because after that winter I was like okay I changed my major like I'm doing better and like a lot like me and my other roommate were doing good um except for the roommate who was still isolating herself but like I just felt overall better and I'm not sure why I think it was because um after everything happened like over winter break 
because right before winter break was when I got like into a screaming, like a, a really bad fight with the roommate who lived at the bottom of the stairs. And it that's the point where we, we literally blocked each other's numbers. Like we blocked each other. She unfriended me on social media, blocked my number. And I was like, we live together. Like you can't just do that. Like it, it we were just not on good terms and I think I took the time that winter break to really just like reflect on like that semester and what I was doing and somehow like just process what happened like figure out like is journalism the right path for me and like I actually I remember sitting in my room and I like acknowledged I I talk to myself sometimes I'm not crazy I promise but I talk to myself sometimes (laughs) like and just I don't know like I feel like sometimes I have to talk things out it's I sound crazy, I promise I'm not, but <laughs> I like was talking, I was sitting in my bed and I was just like talking and I like, I had a moment of like acknowledging the presence or like the spirit, the ghost, whatever you want to call it. And I just, or the demon, like I just sat there and I was like, I acknowledge that you're here and I respect you. And this was your space. Maybe this is your space. Maybe this wasn't your space. But I was like, I respect that you're here. I acknowledge you. But like, I was like, I can't put any more energy into you because I think I've heard through my aunt or through, I don't know, shows I've watched or something like documentaries about like ghosts and stuff. But the more you talk about it while you're there, like the more energy you give it. Um, So I think once I like said that, I was like, I respect that you're here, but I'm not going to give you any more energy that it kind of stopped messing with me, I think, because I don't think I had any experiences after that winter break. Laura did something that I myself didn't have the courage to do when I lived in that little white house in Kent, Ohio. Laura confronted the entity, not just with sage, holy water, or prayers, but by speaking to it directly. Let me ask you a question. Did anybody, did any of you ever try to talk to him or her, or were you just too afraid? Because that would be normal to be too afraid, but just curious. That was parapsychologist Lloyd Arabach. His question was a great question, and he was right. I had been too scared, but Laura, she wasn't. In the end, after she spoke to the entity in the house and set a boundary, it seemed to stop messing with her. So why did this work? Here's Lloyd again. Yeah, taking control is, is number one, it activates your own psychic self-defense mechanisms, but it often is, you know, think about confronting a bully. That's what you do. You confront the bully. And it does work. Psychic self-defense. I had never heard of that before Lloyd mentioned it. After a bit of Googling, I came across a book by a cultist, Dion Fortune, titled Psychic Self-Defense, the classic introduction manual for protecting yourself against a paranormal attack. In her book, she has a list of the signs of a psychic attack. And I will just read a few that I think relate to our collective experiences in the house. Fear and oppression, nightmares, hypnagogic visions between sleep and waking, nervous exhaustion, wasting and loss of strength, changes of temperament, materializations, poltergeist phenomena, hauntings. Between David in the 80s, myself, Amber, Lane, Reba, Adam, and Laura, I think we can check a lot of the boxes off Dion Fortune's psychic attack list. And there is a great quote from Dion's book that I would like to share with all of you. 
Here goes. We live in the midst of invisible forces whose effects alone we perceive. We move among invisible forms whose actions we very often do not perceive at all, though we may be profoundly affected by them. Yes, Dion, you are right about that one, because we were all profoundly affected in that house. For us humans, we may move around invisible forms, but they aren't transparent to all beings. This is where I want to remind you of earlier in this episode when I mentioned that cats and their connection to both the spiritual world and this house have relevance. One tenant's cat, as you heard, turned evil. But thankfully for Laura, her cat seemed aware but unchanged. Here she is to tell you about a particular incident. Like, I remember that, like, we, I came downstairs one day and my, my cat was just standing at the bottom of the stairs in front of her room. She was just staring at the walls and she was like, she wasn't like full blown meowing. She was just meowing like quietly and she was like looking around. And then I remember when I walked down the stairs, it just was really cold in that area. And I was like, okay, like, like it's okay, Harley, like, come here. So Laura's cat could sense what was in the house, especially at the bottom of those infamous stairs. But was Harley the cat alone in picking up on the entity in the little white house? No, she was not. They all had cats. They had three cats in there when they lived there. Um, the cats would stare at stuff all the time, like they would just stare at the walls or, and just meow. By they, Laura is referring to the tenants who lived in the house the year prior to her. Their pets also seemed to know that something wasn't right. But the bigger question is this, did these former renters at the cat house also have any unexplained things happen to them? You will get the answer to that and more in the very last episode of this story. Until next time, I am Lindsay Brisbane, and this was episode 12 of The Chilling. The Chilling is a Little Fang media production. Music featured in this episode is by Sidewalks and Skeletons. Special thanks to Lloyd Arabach, Joe Peretta, and Michael Salerno for their insights.